You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers. In fact, if you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone, give me a call, and we'll tackle it here on the air. Uh, Today is the Power Hour. Joining me from Pittsburgh Power today, Leroy and John. Hey, welcome back, guys. Hey, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Good. Great to have you here. We uh, Looks like the calls are piling up quickly. Anything you guys want to start with today? Not really. Yeah, no. We've got a little uh, still <clears throat> working on uh, the CMC engine. We took the opportunity to... Uh, fully blueprint that thing. We're doing a pre-build on it before we build it there, and we've actually uh, checked the volume of the combustion chambers and the cylinders and uh, calculated the actual compression ratio, and we've... Uh, degreeing the cam and everything. Yeah, we're degreeing the cams, and we're trying every variation of Detroit cam and part number for the different builds to, to log some data on that. And uh, oh, we're also going to see the, see the effect of the thicker head gasket on the cam timing as well. That's what the point we're up to now. That's what's been going on in the shop. Leroy and I were gone for about exactly a week on our little odyssey there to the uh, Mid-America Truck Show. And from there, we went to uh, the Packard engine plant by way of the Corvette Museum. We stopped for a visit there on our way through. Good times. And then uh, we dropped Bruce off in Birmingham. We did not fall through the floor, but they have a really interesting... Really interesting display there. They've actually left a window in the floor. Uh, they propped it all up underneath, and there's still an opening. You could take a look inside of there, and uh, it's it's interesting. And uh, oh, so then cool. we had a really good day, really good day at the Packard engine plant. Uh, they're doing a hell of a job there. I'm really impressed with that operation. Super nice plant. Super nice. And um, you know, we're going to see some of those engines, you know, are probably going to turn up and use trucks that are going to make their way to owner-operators sooner than later, I think, and uh, we're going to have ourselves positioned to work on those. Uh, looks like we've already got a deal with Packard in place where uh, where we'll be able to do some work on those things in the near future. Oh, good, good. And uh, so what did else did we you, do? We went to the. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, did you happen to catch in the news this week uh, that Carb uh, is in court? Everybody's suing Carb. Everybody in the state just about is suing Carb. And in one of the court cases, they admitted in court that they know that the DPF is harmful to the engine, hurts performance and fuel economy, and long-term damages the engine. I did I did read that, actually. I was uh, creeping on you on Facebook, and I saw your posting there. So, yeah, I, I read the link that you put up, and I thought that was yeah. quite interesting. I think I think everyone knew that. Yeah. No one would admit it, though. Right. <laughs> Again, it, it was yeah. probably something that worked on paper, got rushed uh, through who knows what, and then uh, 
was a rush to market after that, and then we're left to pick up the pieces and try to make the stuff work afterwards. But who knows? Maybe the end will be in sight for that stuff, or they'll come up with something better. I've already heard of other designs of uh, after-treatment systems that people have gotten the works already that uh, are supposed to be more passive and actually more effective than the current stuff. So uh, who knows? Yeah. Well, they've got a long history of just either outright lying or hiding facts. The the original study that started all this about the the negative effects of diesel exhaust fumes and it kills people and causes cancer and all all this other stuff that original report that started carved down that whole path um the guy who wrote the report had all these amazing credentials turns out they were all false he didn't even have a degree interesting and carb knows carb knows it and after it came out Carb had known about it for a very long time that all of his credentials were falsified. He didn't even have a degree at all. And they hid it. When it did finally came out, they admitted it, and he's still there. They never got rid of him. Yeah, that's interesting. You get It's the big, slow-moving machine of government. It doesn't really uh, react too quickly to anything even like that. It's just bizarre. It doesn't make no sense to me at all. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So... This is what we're left with. All right, well, uh, to some phone calls, because we've got a bunch of them. Let's start off in West Virginia. Bill, welcome to the program. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. How are you? Mm-hmm. Ah, not bad. I uh, appreciate what you guys do, and I just wish you could do more than an hour a week. But anyway, uh, I've got a 98 12.7 in a glider that's got 940,000 miles on the rebuild and I'm getting ready to put my fourth intake gasket in it uh, is there anything I can do to keep that from blowing them out that's really weird that that's happening yeah no no actually we've seen this here the uh change that manifold they're not that expensive and they warp uh if you put a straight edge on that manifold you're going to find it's not uh not flat anymore, so even when you tighten it up, you're gonna be uh, not going to get a good squeeze on those gaskets. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, because yeah. uh, uh, I've been to your place about a year ago and had the ECM worked on, and so I'm, I'm above stock on boosts, but yep. uh, But I, I was having that problem beforehand. Yeah, get to your get to your local Detroit dealer uh, with your engine serial number, and they'll. Uh, Get find a manifold for you. They were really not that expensive. That last no. one we bought was like two hundred and fifty bucks or something. Yeah, I was gonna say like two hundred dollars. Yeah, and they uh, they tend to they tend to warp, and actually they get a little corrosion there, some bimetal uh, reaction between the gasket and the manifold, where the manifolds are all aluminum there. And you'll find okay, that well, when you pull it off, you may find some corrosion in between there and the gasket. And uh, yeah, that's a easy 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 cheap fix there. It should fix it once you once you get a new manifold on there. All right, well, thanks. Yep, you're right. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Utah. Jack, welcome to the program. Well, hello. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate y'all, all y'all do, so we can learn stuff out here. Uh, you're welcome. I got a O. Thank you. Got a O one Century um, D deck for Detroit. Got an ABS problem where I've added the liftable axle in my front in place of my front driving axle. And I can't uh, 
quite figure out what to do to keep from having an ABS light on. Well, then not to mention that I have two different size tires back there. I'm running a 455 drive tire and a 445 trailer tire on my free rolling axle. How can we overcome that? So you, you had two regular axles and you put a lift axle in? Correct. And then the AB, the ABS light came on, correct? Yeah. Well, that's because the two wheels that you picked up aren't spinning and it's not seeing any wheel speed. So you need to reconfigure correct. the ABS module just to see uh, only four sensors instead of six. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and I'm fully with you. I'm actually uh, automotive brake technician, so I know I just didn't know how we would overcome that. Uh, yeah, it's a matter of going in the ACM. It, uh, yeah. It, you'll need the software to talk to the uh, the ABS unit and whatever cabling you might need to do that and uh, connect to it, and yeah, you should be able to find those parameters in there. Okay. Well, I want to bring the truck to you up there sometime anyway and have y'all pull the ECM and uh, do a tune on it, so probably work on doing all that when I come up there. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, it sounds uh, like that. Of, definitely sounds like a plan. Yeah, what kind of price are we... I've never heard anybody say just a rough idea uh, to do a program on the computer. Um, I think for that, the 500-horse program is $600. Okay. That gives me an idea to work with. Uh, okay, well, good deal. hope maybe I get to see you all within the next two or three months, maybe. I hope so. Sounds good. All right, thank y'all. Yep. All right. Sounds sounds like a plan. Speaking of a plan, hey, I'm, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Hey, well, while we were on that subject, we uh, we got a whole lot of ECMs mailed in here, and uh, just want to kind of put it out there that uh, a lot of times your truck might actually have a check engine light for a reason, or there might be other problems. Uh, it's, it's hard for us with the quantity of ECMs we've got coming through here, and we put them on our test rig and everything comes out okay, and quite often we'll send them back. Not often, but from time to time. And the customer will still have a problem, and the problem's usually somewhere else. And uh, a lot of people have got the misconception now that going through the ECM or tuning the ECM or working on the ECM is a, is a fix-all, and they for some reason want to ignore the fact that it may simply be doing its job. Um, so the little issue there, the fellow there wants to bring it in, and that's the right way to do it and would like to see more of them come through the door rather than uh, be mailed in. I mean, we could, there's still a number of things we do, you know, on mail-in, but uh, we, we find ourselves taking a whole lot of customer service calls and a lot of tech calls uh, after the fact with problems that were there that aren't related to the ECM. Got it. Good information. So there's the music. That means we've got to get to a break. We will be right back with more stuff. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rothford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Leroy and John from Pittsburgh Power here with me helping out with the questions. Speaking of questions, we're going to get right back to them. Let's go to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Oh boy. Hi, guys. Hi, I have Ellen. a hey, 2000... Oh, pretty good. I have a 2004 D-Deck 4 14 liter. I'm going to be doing a new oil pan because I've got a leak alongside where the dipstick tubes uh, screws into it. It's got some cracks or something. So when I do that, I was going to have the urethane engine mounts put in. I have 950,000 total, 230,000 on your end frame. While that's all apart, should I do one of two things? Is there a need? Uh, Replace the oil pump and... Is there any reason to retorque rod caps just because the pan's off of it? At two hundred and fifty thousand since the end frame, I, I would say absolutely not. Do not touch those bolts. Okay. Yeah, there's no reason to no okay. reason to disturb anything. Um, and if you're okay. unless you've got a problem, I see no reason to even look at the oil pump either. Just okay, go ahead just and change leave the it pan alone. and don't worry about anything. Leave it alone. Yep. Okay. That's what I wanted yeah, to know. Should, Thank you, guys. You've you've got a better chance of introducing some dirt or something in there that uh, will cause you more grief than than good. So just yeah, leave it alone. Okay. Thank you. That, that's a good answer. Nice You're and simple, and you to spend any money. Let's uh, let's go to South Dakota. Stewart, welcome to the program. Bye. It's your turn. Uh, yeah. Hey, Kevin uh, Fairtax. Yesterday, uh, you told me to give you a call. Uh, today about a problem I'm having. I'm on my third valve cover gasket. Keep blowing them out. Yes. Uh, I, I up till you know up till uh, this this uh, oil change. I didn't have any uh, any weird wear metals or anything. Uh, didn't have any very high fuel dilution or anything. And somebody brought up the fact that it could be a hole in the top of the. Uh, the air compressor piston. Kind of wondering if uh, if the guys knew anything about uh, telltale signs of that, side effects, uh, so I could kind of match it up to what I've got going on. I don't believe that would be the case at all. The air compressor doesn't move enough volume to pressurize the crankcase. Uh, you've either got a, some excessive blow by, or your breather tube is somehow clogged. You're not getting good, good, free, good breathing from the engine. Mm-hmm. So take a look right. at that. Make sure, make sure your draft tube is wide open. And if you continue to do it, uh, you know, if uh, everything is breathing freely there, I would uh, then do a manometer test on it. Uh, if you can I, get it to us, we'll, we'll do it on the dyno. But if you can somehow source uh, from from your local. Uh, Heating, ventilation, and air conditioning supply a manometer, and uh, uh, get that hooked up to your breather, and you get someone to you know help you drive the truck down the road. You can see uh, exactly how much blow by the thing's making. You should be making All right. some, I, not making any. I, yep. I had a I had a dyno test done in uh, December. I was okay. at ninety seven percent rated horsepower. Yep. Uh, does that does that help any? Also, I did take the breather tube off. It was partially obstructed. But okay. that was before another valve cover gasket. Okay. Okay. And it's so and the and you've lost another valve cover gasket since you've cleaned the obstruction from the uh yes. from the breather tube? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
I'm willing to bet you've got a good bit of blow by there. The, the horsepower is not going to be very indicative of that. The, the ECM will work to you know make the horsepower that it needs to make. If uh, you do have some you know compression leaking by the piston rings, is probably what you've got going on there. How many miles are on the engine? Uh, one point two. Yeah, it's, it's probably due for a rebuild. All right, all right. So yeah. just swing it by the shop then. That would be that would be ideal. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Hey, I, I had one yesterday, guys, with uh, two about two hundred thousand on an in frame, and twenty six pounds of pressure. Tw- uh, twenty six inches, you mean? But yeah, that's twenty six uh, inches. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole lot. Yes, they in that situation like that, it's obvious that the piston rings never really seated or became friendly with the. Uh, the liners, or the liners polished up for some reason. I think our record's 31 yeah. inches. Thir- 31 oh, inches is the worst we've seen on the dyno. <laughs> wow. So you get to yeah, tell that guy's got a little work to do yet. <laughs> yeah. When when he said 26, I wanted to make sure he was right, because I don't think I've ever seen one wow. that high. Yeah, that's ready. That's ready for a rebuild. So yeah, at a million two on that on that fellow's engine, that's no sin. I mean, that's uh, it's, it's served him well, no. and it's uh, ho- hopefully yeah. he was putting a few bucks aside while he's putting that million two on, and he's able to rebuild the thing now. But it should be ready for cylinder kits. Yeah, at a million two, you would expect it. I mean, that's just normal yep. wear. Yep. Let's yep. Uh, let's head off to Colorado. Rodney, welcome to the program. Yeah, hello, Kevin. Hey there. I um, I have a few questions. Uh, one of them, uh, Pittsburgh Power, on what um, what is there to putting the uh, manifold and turbo on a C15 6NZ? And on the uh, tuners, uh, on your ECM, would you just tune your ECM or go with the power box or do both? Well, uh, so I can answer as far as the ECM programming goes. Um, re- really, when it comes to the CAT, I would say that you could do either, or it's really up to your preference. If you want to be able to change power levels, like if you're right now a 475 and you want to have the ability to go from 475 to you know, 600, um, then the power box is your better answer. But some people uh, you know, prefer the ECM program where they don't have to worry about you know, an extra harness or anything like that going bad um so i I would say it's really up to personal preference on there okay as as for the uh uh, go ahead i was just going to say it's a factory set at 550 and Mm -hmm. i do have the fast uh 220 on it What, what kind of loads do you normally carry um right now i'm Averaging about sixty-five thousand gross, but I can—I'm very versatile. I do anything that makes money, so I'll go from like flatbed to reefer. Uh, you feel like sometimes yeah, you have a lack pull, of power? No, uh, there's not a lack of power in this in this engine. I just—I can do anything that makes money. Um, yeah. I pull a lot of mountains um, mm-hmm. and flatbed, reefer, uh, low boy. I'm just uh, pretty versatile. For maybe for more of a you know a versatile you know more of a universal fit, I think maybe a power ball could be more um, you know more suited for you, being that you're trying you know trying to do a lot of different things with it. 
I think uh, yeah. the power box can suit you in different situations better. Okay. And, and the other question about the turbo and manifold, out of those three, uh, well, the, between the power box and the turbo and the manifold, which one would you do first? I'd do the turbo and the manifold first. They, they really respond well to that. The turbo flows a little bit better in the ceram, the porting and the uh, less back pressure, less ceramic coating. It helps the it helps to maintain the heat on the way into the turbo, and it just just flows better and it spools up a little bit quicker. And you'll feel a difference with that even without the other mods. And then it works really well in in conjunction with the other. And if you up the horsepower first, then that's more exhaust that you have to push out through a restricted area. So that's more pumping losses. So I would say okay. yeah, turbo and manifold first. And out of the two turbos that you guys offer at Pittsburgh Power, uh, what's the difference between the, the cat turbo and the and the uh, high performance turbo? Um, one's more suited for uh, you know pretty large horsepower, you know six seven hundred horsepower, um, and one is more of a uh, you know I guess you could say tame. Where it's uh, you know better for like a 500 to 650 horsepower. Right, and that one's got better drivability as well. The bigger turbo, you kind of uh, takes a little while to spool up some boost, but then it makes big power after that. Yeah, when it kicks in, it really kicks in. Yeah. but it's a little yeah. bit large. Yeah, it's for you know big big horsepower stuff really. The the HP and turbo then, is actually terrific. It's pretty versatile. Okay, and then with the uh, stock turbo on the cat and the wastegate and the actuators and all that, what do what do you do with all that? Go to swap out the, the manifold and the turbo. The new turbo just doesn't just, have a wastegate on it. That's fine. Yep. Right. So it, there's there's no, no tuning or anything to do with the engine. I can pull the manifold off, turbo, and put put the new stuff yeah. on it. Yep. Yeah. Go to town. The exhaust housing, the exhaust housing sized uh, large enough to not let it overspeed. That wastegate's on there to to control the speed of the turbo. The uh, Okay. Allows it to spool up quickly because it's a fairly small volume exhaust housing and spins the turbine a little bit quicker, and then it uh, keeps from overspeeding the turbo by wasting some of the back pressure from behind it. Uh, yeah. So with ours, okay. it's slightly be slightly bigger than that, so you don't have to worry about the wastegate. A properly sized one won't overspeed. Right. So. Okay. All right. Well, my next question uh, was for Kevin real quick on uh, gears, and uh, I ordered okay. my glider back Hold in November. Hold that thought. The music's playing. We will get to a break, and we'll come back and tackle that. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. Kevin Rothenberg. You hear it, you did?
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. It is the Power Hour. I've got John and Leroy here from Pittsburgh Power, and we're answering your questions. I'm going to go back to Colorado. Rodney, go ahead. Okay. Um, so I built this glider in uh, December, and I ordered it. Going through the spec shed, I ended up with 336 gears. <laughs> and I've heard you time and time again here in the last couple of months how you hate 336 gears and i just wanting to get a little more information of why well and, do you have a and what there is speed? to do about it 18 speed oh with that transmission and that engine you know the cat makes so much torque so much horsepower it's a lot more forgiving um and with the 18 speed you have the ability to split that gear so actually the 336s work just fine in your setup so I wouldn't change it, especially at today's fuel prices. Just not worth it. Um, so you're right. fine. You can run 17th when you want to go slower, 18th if you want to go faster. You've got the power and the torque to make up for it. Where it is a horrible combination, and we were seeing lots of truck spec like this, is a lower horsepower, smaller engine, and a 10-speed with 336s, and it's just a nightmare. You know, you can't drop to ninth because it's too low. But if they even see a little bit of a hill or a headwind, they just fall flat. But in your situation, I would leave them alone. They're fine. Okay. Uh, Just for hindsight on my end and anybody else that might be looking to build with a cat, uh, what would you recommend for an 18-speed and a cat? Yeah, I love the 264, which is pretty similar as long as you're two gears down um so that way you run indirect with the 264s at 55 to about 62 miles an hour you can run in on your transmission 16th get your best fuel economy because you're indirect still pull great and You know, you've got 17th if you want to run up to about 70 or 72. And then you've got 18th for when the cops are chasing you and you don't want to stop. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, that answered my question. I I feel a little more comfortable with my choice. And I just, uh, I I haven't never heard you explain the the difference and the being with the, powered with the horsepower and whatnot, the cats and the Detroits and the Cummins yeah. and whatnot. So, so. Yeah, okay. in, in well, your thanks. situation, with that transmission and that much horsepower and torque, you're fine. In fact, the 336 actually works pretty well in that setup. Let's, uh, let's go to California. Mark, welcome to the program. Kevin, how are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Well... T660 with a Packard MX engine, and I wanted to know uh, what these guys thought about the engine and, excuse me, what Pittsburgh Power has to improve things on it. We could start with our, right now, we'll just do basic fast, and I'm sure that we can uh, come up with a damper and a balancer for it right now. Sure, they can make a manifold for it also. And we should be able to do a manifold soon. Uh, We don't have anything there yet, but uh, that's about it for right now. We've not uh, developed much for it yet. This all came to be about two months ago. Seems like a good engine, though. Right. When I came on board here, it turns turns out a very good friend of mine from the racing industry is now, um, he's got a very good job at Packard Corporate 
and uh, so we've got a connection. So we're uh, we're working on uh, some things there. That's uh, a fellow fellow engineer of mine who uh, great really great guy. He worked at Peterbilt for 20 years, and they moved him up and moved him up, and now he works for Packard Direct and just a a good good friend. And so we're getting a little inside information and just uh, you know nothing you know that we can't share. But uh, he's kind of guiding us through getting set up as a as a service center. So we'll know more about it in the near future, and I expect to see a lot more of these things out there as they make their way into the uh, second-hand owner world, and we'll be positioned to work on them. But uh, right now, uh, just, just basic maintenance and a few of the add-ons that we can do. Okay, great. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You know, that uh, when when I – when they first announced they were going to be bringing that engine to the U.S. market, I did a ton of research on it in Europe and other parts of the world, and it has a really, really good track record. It's got a great reputation, performed well, good fuel economy, not a lot of maintenance issues, and the first couple of years here just seemed to kind of be a disaster, and I'm not sure why. They definitely had some problems. They had uh, some heat treat issues and a few other things. And as you know, they use Cummins for all their emission controls over here. Mm-hmm. And so they shared the same problem the early uh, emission ISXs did. So some of that's not so different. Mechanically, the engine is really sound. It's a very well-built piece. And uh, some of the ancillary stuff is more of the issue. But in parallel with Cummins, they've, they've got a handle on that, on the emission problems, and they're, they're doing well there. Um, I think you're definitely getting better, though. In fact, they, uh, they win on a number of levels, uh, vibration, noise. There are quite a few things that the engine uh, does better than anything else on the market right now with. So uh, we'll see. Uh, it's something I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean. It's got a great reputation in Europe, great track record. It is a great design. And the other thing that we saw was was the potential of it. When they ran right, the fuel economy right out of the gate, no modifications, no nothing, eight and a half was not unusual. Really good fuel economy when they ran right. When they ran wrong, you know, that kind of went in the tank. But you could see that it has a lot of potential. Yeah, and I believe they've worked through most of the problems. If you look at the uh, uh, current track record on the on the newest stuff, they're really running well, really, really well. And Go everything ahead. gets poor Go fuel ahead. mileage when it doesn't run right. So, so my my friend's got the ability yeah. right right on his personal device to look and see uh, that the trucks report back. They've got a system on there, kind of like OnStar, I guess, on the newest ones, and he knows uh, which trucks are that haven't check engine light. He knows how many engines have a uh, uh, an impending shutdown for a reason. He, it's really amazing. He he opened up everything. He, he opened up his phone and showed me where there's a truck with a check engine light on it. So. Every truck, yeah, in the wow. country with a check engine light and so, what the check engine light was. So they're really on it. Like they're really really on it. So that they're I, it's one of those situations where you know I looked at that operation and talked to the people and failure is not an option. Like they it's 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 going to work. That's we need more of that. So that's encouraging to see that they're doing that. Because that'll put pressure on the other engine manufacturers to step up. Oh, definitely. For sure. Some of the things that impressed me, aside from their processes there and the cleanliness of the plant and the way the police operated, was there is one spec mechanically of the 13-liter and one mechanical spec of the 11-liter. So these crazy things we're coming up with with all these Detroits and different cams and different Different pistons. Different CPLs and all that. None of that. They're all the same. It's all Good. done with tuning or injectors. I mean, as far it, injectors are the biggest thing that's different between one. So, and the rest of it's just done with a right. computer. Yeah, uh, so you can yeah, make a four hundred, a five hundred. That's encouraging. 
All right, let's uh, let's get back to some phone calls. Let's go to Minnesota. Jack, welcome to the program. Yeah, I I got a, a N14, and I went uh, 1.09 million without uh, replacing it. Then I re- had it replaced. They didn't clean out everything. Now I went another about twelve thousand and took that out. And now, after I had it, the second, uh, or actually the third turbo put on, I've come up with a, a real high pitch whistle sound when, uh, like between twenty and thirty-two pounds of boost. I don't seem to lose any power, and I was just wondering if you had any uh, clues on where 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 I'm getting this whistle from. You've got a leak. You've got a small leak somewhere, somewhere where there's a gasket. Could be on the exhaust or the intake side, and what will happen is that gasket will act like a reed on a saxophone. So you get that noise there when that when it blows right by there. Not a huge leak, I'm sure. It's not killing your horsepower by that much, but you've got a leak somewhere. That's why it whistles, because it's so small. It's so small, and it's blowing through that, that little tin gasket or whatever, and it actually will vibrate and make a noise like a musical instrument. Now, could that be on, uh, because they took the uh, uh, charger air cooler off, cleaned all that out. I mean, I had debris in that and uh, air intake. Which they they took the intake off. manifold off. No, could they easily be a... It. They did not. They didn't take the... They, they took the turbo off, though, correct? Yeah, they replaced the turbo. But, uh, they the manifold they the, left on there? So we need to do a you need to do a smoke test on your intake is what you need to do that'll that'll pinpoint it you might have to pressurize a little higher or use compressed shop air if the smoke's not enough pressure to get it to make the noise but it'll make the noise you'll be able to duplicate it in the shop. Yeah, I was trying to hit you guys last Friday, but I I couldn't. I mean, I run over to Syracuse all the time. And, uh, I guess that's what I'll all right. Do. Thank you. There's the music. I've got to get to a break. Stick around. We'll be right back. We've got one more segment. We'll get to as many of your calls and questions as we can. Kevin Rutherford. All right, a quick heads up. We're heading into the uh, final segment here of the Power Hour, and then we're going to go into an hour of general questions, anything goes. Uh, We've got quite a few questions lined up already. Uh, In fact, it looks like we've got a lot. So uh, we're just going to go ahead and get started here. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. 
website is letstruck.com. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Leroy here with me. Hey, guys, I normally run right into the end of the show, and, and uh, we're always rushed for time. We never get to all the questions. We are talking about maybe expanding this. Um, but if, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and they don't get through on the show, how do they reach you guys? They can call the shop here at uh, 724-360-4080 or email. You could email me at john, J-O-H-N, at pittsburghpower.com. And uh, don't forget the H in Pittsburgh. A lot of people do that, and it doesn't make it to us. So we need to modify our email, I think, so it will accept it either way. But, uh, yeah, make sure you get the H in Pittsburgh. Well, you know, if you guys go doing that and solving problems, you know, I don't know. You know, this whole solving problem. <laughs> yeah, no, might ruin our reputation making or something. Be, I don't know. We yeah, make sure we don't it do that. Yeah, for people. Yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Indiana. Pete, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you guys? Hey, I got a 99 KW with an N14. And what I noticed lately is, you know, when I go to start it, I let it go through the self test and then the check fluid light keeps on going after that i don't remember that happening and it's a total of either four or five times from start to finish is uh is that a, a code that it's throwing so run run that by me one more time there you you turn it on and you say it runs through like a self-test and the light flashes four or five times Right. See, like we got, I usually, you know, it, it sort of clicks back and forth. And then when the clicks stops, that's usually when I used to start the truck. But I noticed my jet fluid light keeps on going. I don't remember it doing that ever before. And it does it from start to finish. That's even during the clicking back and forth a total of four or five times. And it's like, you know, three times and then it pauses, three times and it pauses, but it does it. Uh, a total of four or five times. And you say it's low fluids, not like uh, like low oil pressure before the truck starts or anything, correct? Well, I haven't even started the truck, to, uh, you know, trying to start it. This is like you're sort of waiting for all the lights to go off before you turn the ignition on. Uh, I can't really remember um, on that model if that's exactly what goes on or not. It may be normal, it may not be normal. Um, I just have to look at it in person. I really... Uh, I'm not exactly 100% sure. I don't want to say one way or the other. So which okay. check fluid light? Does it specify which fluid the check, or does it just say check fluids? No, that's just check fluids. It's just the idiot light. You know, it just right. Uh, right. keeps on blinking. And, see, I I mean, I've owned this truck since 99. It's just I, I don't remember it ever going past once the clicking stops, you know, where it goes back and forth, and then all the clicking stops. That's when I usually start the truck. And then I noticed what he called the lights kept going. Thought maybe what he call it. I'm throwing some kind of a code, maybe not an engine code, a you know rear end or something. You know, it's most likely your dash um, instrument cluster. The uh, the uh, control module for that is recognizing low fluids, not necessarily the ECM. Okay. Well, you know what he called. Like I said, I've, it's not like I'm having a problem. It's just. All of a sudden, it yeah. started doing it, and 
I thought, okay, well, maybe it's trying to tell me something's wrong here, you know? Yeah, I think it's more, uh, you know, Dash-related than it is uh, engine computer-related. I think uh, something's going on. Not necessarily something's going on, but something may be different or something has changed with the instrument cluster that's reading low fluids. Got it. Let's uh, keep moving along here, get to as many as we can. We're off to Tennessee. Bobby, welcome to the program. Hello, guys. I sure enjoyed the uh, visit with y'all at, uh, at the Mats. Uh, got a question for the Pittsburgh guys about uh, Cummins ISX. I've done an HVR delete. Um, the truck was an original 435 horsepower, and I've had it updated to 560 or 565. I can't remember, but um, I want to go. I want to know if y'all can program an ECM. To, uh, where I can turn the check engine light out on the ETR valve. It, it shows a couple of codes all the time where I've uh, deleted the ETR oh. valve. Yeah, yeah, that happens when you do a delete. Uh, what, what kind of codes does it throw? <laughs> um, well, it's showing the codes where it's where they have been unplugged. You know, the, oh, the you just unplugged it. Out of range. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been it's been uh, deleted as well, but of course the plugs are are undone. Mm-hmm. There, there's a way just to block the check engine lights, but you're going to have to have more uh, more done than that. Um, it's it's probably is it seem like it's running okay, or does it is it kind of oh, running in the D rate or not running right? No, no, it runs fine. It actually runs great. It's just the check engine light stays on all the time, and I would like to be able to when it does come on for there to be a, a, a different problem. You understand? Yeah, there uh there may there's a way just to block uh certain check engine lights, but uh it's pro- it's most likely throwing a light for a reason, something with the uh the program isn't uh exactly squared away. Okay. Um can I can you do a can you program an ECM if I just sent you sent you one? And uh what year is it? It's a O six international with a ISX. Our uh, our bench testers is currently um, down on that one. To, uh, it'll probably be fixed here in about a week or two. Um, so you probably have to give us a call back around then or something like that to uh, see if the bench tester is working yet. Okay, give me give me that number one more time for your shop. Seven two four three six zero four zero eight zero. Four zero eight zero. Okay. All right, guys. I sure enjoy it. Thanks. No problem. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Indiana. David, welcome to the program. Hey, um, listen, I just put a rebuilt a 12.7 liter D-deck for, um, had the cylinders, kits, micro blued, had that done in June because I was going to do it myself. Got it done, put it in. Um, what kind of oil consumption and fuel mileage can I expect as the break-in happens? That's uh, fuel consumption is a tough one. That's uh, largely on, on on the driver there. Okay. Yeah, I missed what you said about the oil. I didn't get to the oil yet. There, I'm still thinking about that. That's that's uh, that's another one, hard one to predict. It'll be a little higher than it than it should end up. I don't know, Kevin. Any thoughts okay. on that uh, oil consumption on a fresh engine versus uh, one that's already been broken in? You know, the the first. 
10,000 miles is so unpredictable, it seems like. Like, I had a guy yesterday in the first 5,000 miles, he went through two gallons, and he was really in a panic. And I said, you know, it's not time to panic yet. I've seen a lot of them do that in the first 10,000. I said, if it gets to 25,000 and it's still doing that, then it's time to start tracking it and talking about warranty and that kind of stuff. But I, I don't pay much attention to oil consumption in the first 10,000 because I just see some okay. really – some won't use any, and some will go through every a gallon every couple thousand miles early on. Right. Well, that's about what I'm at right now. I, you know, I've, I got about 1,000 miles. I just started rolling uh, yesterday. Got about 1,000 miles, and uh, – I am already half gallon low, so. Yeah, don't, don't the, worry. In that, that first that, thousand. That, yeah, that's okay. what I would Another thing, that yet. I, had, I had my ECM reworked by you guys. You guys put a new chip in it. Um, the old one was bad. I had an oddball chip. Um, my The truck won't idle up now. I'm just wondering if that's something that needs to be programmed back into it or if optimized idle. I had you guys shut the optimized idle off. And I don't know if that shuts the ability to, you know, when I'm in neutral, my parking brake set, I should be able to idle it up with my uh, my uh, cruise control switch, but it won't idle up anymore. And and it worked before that we uh, we fixed the memory. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, that's that's pretty interesting. Because um, we when we replace the memory chip, we take whatever was in it and put right back into there. We uh, typically don't make any modifications unless for power reasons. So I'm kind of unsure why that happened. Uh, we'd have to look more into that. That's pretty interesting, though. Okay. Well, I've been touching base with Ethan on that. I called him last week and haven't heard back from him, but I figured I'd run by you guys. And maybe there's a simple, uh, quick, simple answer. But yeah, yes, everything kind of. We take whatever was in there and put it right back in. So it should be the exact same. Um, it's kind of. That's really interesting why it's not. Um, give give me a call, um, you know, after the show or when you get a chance, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll try to go through it more. I'll do some research on your stuff. Hey, guys, real quick, the music's playing. Joe in Alabama wants to know if there's any way to com- convert a power box from one engine to another. Uh, from what engine? Uh, well, we're not going to have time to get to that. So yep. Joe's going to have yep. to either call you guys directly or he's going to have to call back next week and we'll try to get to that. John Leroy, thanks, guys. And uh, we've got to get out of here. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for all the help. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. Kevin Rutherford. All right, everybody, we're going to get started on a second hour here. Um, right now looks like there's quite a few questions, but if we, uh, if it looks like we get any openings, I will let you know. Here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs. Back in your pocket. 
Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of truck hauls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers. The list goes on and on. If you've got a question about anything at all, pick up the phone. We'll talk about it here on the air. We're going to get right to the calls today and see how many questions we can answer. Texas is where we're starting out. Cheryl, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I have a question, a comment, and at this time, a little good news to share. Sure. I, um, you know, with the fuel discount that we get, our fuel receipts aren't a good use for tracking how much we're actually spending on fuel. So we get a card activity statement that shows the actual transactions, and it'll give you a nice little balance every week for, you know, what you actually spent on fuel. Now, we've been saving yeah. the receipts. Do I really need to save them? Will that, that card activity statement suffice if the IRS gets curious? It will. Things. Yeah. Yeah. All you right, know, I, I'll tell you how I'll tell you how I always handled this. Um I, I when I'm standing there at the pump, I put in the, the fuel ticket, the pump price, whatever information I have right there, because I wanna know what my fuel economy is when I'm thinking about it. Because right then I know what my driving habits were, what the weather was like. So it makes a lot of sense, even though I know it's not going to be accurate. Then later on, when we get the right information on the card activity statement, I just go back and edit that so that it's correct in the system and then throw the receipts away because you don't need them. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. And then uh, I'm a little behind on the shows. I'm not driving as much as I used to, and I haven't adjusted some of my habits to keep feeding my brain and dumping information out. But I would just I just listened to the Break Safe episode, and I just wanted to say thank you. And it was funny because I turned to my husband this morning and said, hey, when we get a chance, I need to talk to you about breaks. He goes, I need to talk to you about breaks. And I said, you listened to that episode. He's like, oh, my God, we've got to order them now. <laughs> So we decided when we uh, park tonight, I'm going to order those. So they'll be home waiting for us when we get home in a couple of weeks. But thank you. He's been Excellent. driving over 20 years, and he learned that's you know, the case. I, I, you know, that I have to admit, and I hate to admit this, when, you know, and I, I don't remember what I met, Andy. It was a long time ago. But I had owned a lot of trucks. I had driven a lot of miles, uh, you know, and I was shocked at how ignorant I was about brakes and slack adjusters and adjustment. And so I I felt the exact same way. And I got done with the Indian. I was like, wow, we we have got to do something. We kind of screwed up the first time. This goes way back. Andy had a system that was just too complicated, I think, was the ultimate problem. I loved it. In Instead of the visual, very simple, basic thing that BrakeSafe is, which I absolutely love, they also had a, a system that was fully electronic. So it had ah. sensors on the brake strokes, uh, on the rods, and you had a display up in the cab and you could see the stroke every time you hit your brakes. You saw the stroke on every position you had a sensor on. I loved wow. it. 
yeah, it was really cool. And we got a horrible response from the market. It was too expensive. It was too complicated. And, and I thought, wow, that was really a shame. And, you know, over the years, we've, Andy's always been a friend of ours. We, we've always talked to him. And finally, I went back to him and I said, look, Andy, we've got to do something with BrakeSafe. I know the first time was, you know, we didn't get the results we had hoped for, but we need to educate people on, on these issues, and you're the best guy to do it. And this product should just be standard on every truck that rolls off the assembly line. <laughs> it, it really should with all the uh, focus on safety on the road and everything. Uh, yeah, seems like a no-brainer, but it's not going to well, happen. I'm glad like you like that. It. <laughs> yeah, very much. Yeah. And then finally, um, when we talked last, we were in lost wages. We had some oil leaks and the, the dead APU, and uh, we were going through about a gallon every 2,000 miles. I mean, it was an alarming for a relatively uh, recent reworked engine. And uh, we found a shop that was able to take care of everything, the oil uh, fill tube, the dipstick, the, uh, the oil pan gasket, the APU. They even found a issue with the AC system, kind of a long, drawn-out process, but we're about 1,500 miles into this uh, fresh uh, batch of oil, and we're still at full, whereas by now we'd easily be a half a gallon down, so that's a big relief, and uh, they were supposed to take an oil sample for us, but they forgot. It was sitting on the seat, and it was frittin' up. So uh, (laughs) we're going to go ahead and pull one at 5,000 miles just so we can get a baseline and then we'll do another one before we're due for an oil change and see where we're at. You know, That's all I, mean, I, I, I would hold off till 10,000. Okay. I, at, yeah, even even really extreme problems, I, I have a hard time finding on a 5,000-mile sample. There's just not enough of anything in there to tell much. So I would wait till 10. Okay. And and then if we if there's anything that looks alarming, we'll do it again at fifteen and yeah. see what it looks like. Okay, yeah. that sounds good. Yeah at, at, yeah, at ten I can start to see some trends if there's going to be a problem. But at five, sometimes you look at it, you get a false sense of security because there just isn't enough stuff in there yet. Let's uh, let's go to Missouri this time. Daniel, welcome to the program. How are you, Mr. Rutherford? Good. What can I help you with today? Well, first I want to say, now, the other show that you had on was the Power Hour. You could call your yeah. normal shows the in- Empower Hour because you're empowering ah, kinda... us to do, have the abs- absolute best out of our bodies and our trucks. That's kind of cool. I like that. I might steal that from you, but I'll give you credit. Really? Do what you got to do. Hey, you've given me plenty of information. The fact that I can reciprocate is is a good feeling. Well, thank you. Um, and now I get to pick your brain. Uh, I had right. called you on one of your Saturday shows, and I had told you that I've got to that I'm a I was a company driver being paid where I'm paying my taxes, and I got to think it's like okay. I know I'm okay with with doing that because it's practice, but I'm wondering if, one, given the fact that gliders are becoming kind of – they're going to be attacked soon, whether or not I should go about uh, trying to pursue the option of of getting my own truck 
and I found a couple of the old Schneider gliders from anywhere from that like 34 5 all the way up to a decent one for like 50 for, with somewhere in the neighborhood of like 400,000 miles on there. And okay. I don't have the deposit saved up, but with what I'm going to do once I uh, get off the phone with you, I feel co- more confident than I ever have to, to get into it, but I want to go through your book just to absolutely make sure before I go and put any kind of money down anywhere. Yeah, and that's a good idea. I mean, there there is so much in the book, I, and I, I don't recommend it for people who already own a truck and have been owner-operators. In fact, I usually try to talk people out of it. But some people have said, look, I, I like learning anything. And I, I've had 10-year owner-operators buy that book and call me and say it was worth every penny. It, and it's not written for somebody like that. So when you're getting started, there, there's just really nothing like this. And if you go through my whole program, um, and steps one and two are only going to cost you 250 bucks for both steps. I make step one free. Um, and step two is the audio yep. video workbook program. It's 247. Now, step three, mm-hmm. obviously, is the big commitment. That's coming to the CMC right. lane one. And um, I want to be that next year. Yeah. It, That's and, my goal. You know, you next just, year. Yeah, you, 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 you almost can't fail, really. It, it, it covers everything you could possibly ever want to know, everything that could go wrong, everything you need to avoid, everything you need to plan for. But you get a lot of it in steps one and two. Really what step three adds is we are going to spend most of our week going through steps one and two. I mean, there's a lot of material in there. I'm going to have to really work hard to cover it the way I want to cover it in a week. But it's, it's not that you're going to get a tremendous amount of new information at the CMC because I cover it all in the programs. It's just at the CMC we get to work through it really in depth. And you get me there to answer your questions. But absolutely go through the book and the program before you put any money down on that truck. And you've got time. Because even with what they're going to do with gliders, the used gliders will still be fine. They're still going to be on the market. They may be a little harder to get. um, But they'll still be around. I'm going to get to a break. We're going to come back and get to more of your calls and questions. So stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothsburg. back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to head off to Ohio. Jacob, welcome to the program. How are you doing, Kevin? I just want to say thank you for everything that you've done for us. I feel like you've saved my life. Before I, I started listening to your program, I was ready to beg, steal, and borrow to get a brand new truck, and uh, I was uh, overweight and had high cholesterol, 
and uh, I just got the results back from my doctor today. And uh, last year, when I had my blood tested and I was on statins, my uh, bad cholesterol was at 181, and today it's at 120. Excellent. Excellent. And I feel like that's a love story towards the keto. It is. It really is. And, you know, I still get a, a ton of pushback on this. I get people who say they'll never listen to the show again because of all the health stuff. I get people who say I should be in jail for giving advice about eating all this fat. I mean, it just goes on and on. And, and it's one of the more difficult things I've, I've done. I've, I talked about this decision and how long I thought about it. And, and once I made the decision that this issue was too important, that even though there are other groups in the industry talking about it, unfortunately, most of them are still stuck in that old low-fat mindset, the old mindset of you've got to take in less calories and burn more. None of that makes any sense. It's been proven to be wrong. So I, I thought, you know what? Uh, there's, there's, they're trying. I, I applaud the industry and these groups for at least trying, but they're going about it all wrong. They're going to do more harm than good. And you know what? I, I, we have some influence in the industry. I mean, we, we've proven over the years that most of the things we do are pretty solid, um, and people listen. So. I kind of felt like we had a responsibility. We had to start talking about this. I knew I was going to lose listeners. I also knew I would pick up new listeners because now we have a topic that applies to everybody driving a truck, not just owner operators anymore. Um, but it, there are days when, when it's difficult. I mean, I've had very long time loyal listeners say they don't like it and, and they don't want to listen to the show anymore. I've had some of our partner companies say, you know, you're spending a lot of time on health. And I said, I am. And there's a reason for that. This show has always been driven by the callers. You know, I might come on and open up with a topic that I want to talk about, but once I'm done, the rest of the show is dictated by what the callers want to talk about. And as much as I love our partner companies and they bring a lot of great stuff to us, um, and they add a lot to the show, and uh, it's great to have them. I've always been very clear. The show is about the listeners, nothing else. So thank you for your support, and congratulations. Well, th- thank you very much. The, the most surprising uh, was my doctor's reaction, because I asked her what she thought about the ketogenic diet, and she knew exactly what I was talking about. I didn't have to explain anything to her. She's like, I don't have a problem with it at all. She said, I've had a lot of good success with it, and I feel like everything's going towards that because people's pain levels are going down, and it seems the most effective way for people to lower their cholesterol. And I'm just living proof of that. And my jaw was on the floor sitting there in the doctor's office because I didn't expect her to say any of that. Right, right. Well, you've got a good doctor. That's really a good sign. And, you know, I, I bash our medical community a lot, because I, I've seen the, the doctors who don't believe that nutrition has anything to do with anything, and we know that it has everything to do with everything. They're just not taught that. And if they don't go out and seek out this information and their education on their own, I get it. I, I know what they're going to say. They are taught a very specific model. They are taught that when you walk in as a patient, you tell them what your symptoms are, 
they verify what they think those symptoms are, and they prescribe a drug. That is the model. That's what they know. That's what they were taught. And, and that model never addresses the underlying cause. We don't have drugs that fix things. We have drugs that cover up symptoms. That, that, the only class of drugs we have that really fixes anything are antibiotics. If you have an infection, an antibiotic fixes the infection, which is the root cause of the problem. That's the only class of drugs we have that really fixes the root cause. Unfortunately, we've taken that one group of medications that actually fixes a problem and we've abused them so badly and we've prescribed them when we shouldn't be prescribing them and we overprescribe them that they are causing major health problems because they wipe out all the good gut bacteria. So it's, it really is a broken model, and I stand by that, and I'll continue saying it, but it doesn't mean every doctor follows that model. You've obviously got a good doctor who does more research, stays on top of what's going on, and, and gets it that nutrition is the only way to fix the underlying cause of the problem. Yes, and I'm I'm grateful to have her. Uh, now you've talked about cow cow a lot. How do you spell that? Just so I know what I'm looking for. Uh, say that word again. The cow cow, the the cocoa that you uh, put in your coffee. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So you know, once the 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 product has been processed, it's called cocoa. So it's C-O-C-O-A, but in its raw state, it's cacao, and it's C-A-C-A-O. Yeah, I think I got that right. Yeah, the spellings are really close. Um, One is the raw form. One is the processed form. And there are a couple different ways it's processed. But what we really want, the key word you're looking for is raw. So whether it's raw cacao nibs um, or powder, powder is a lot easier to work with. When you see raw, that's really what you're looking for. Okay. Uh, And my my final bit is uh, I don't know if you've tried uh, avocados and fried eggs. But uh, that's an awesome way to start the day. <laughs> I, you know, I love avocados and just about everything. So uh, avocado is, is almost on my plate with just about everything I eat anymore. Um, and it's a great snack with just some salt and lime juice and some cilantro on it as well. So, yeah, thank you for that. Let's go to Tennessee this time. Martin, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing, Kevin? Uh, I had a couple of questions for you. I've got a 2001 Volvo Detroit 60 Series in it. I bought uh, two exhaust manifolds, still had a leak, took it back to Detroit, was on the way, going to buy a third one, but they suggested that I get a manifold kit, which I did, and put it on, but now uh, seem to have fixed the exhaust leak, but now I'm smelling fuel. That's my first problem. Second problem that just started, um, 
Uh, my Volvo used to be an automatic 10-speed. I took the automatic out, put a manual in. Uh, I was delivering a load, heard an air leak, and it's coming from the braided line from the air compressor. Don't know where the line is going to, but I went in, uh, dropped my trailer, pulled up to the front of the building, took my bills in, came back out, jumped in my truck, and it will not go in gear. <laughs> uh, air pressure is about air pressure. I'm getting it up to about 70 or 80, which should be plenty to have it go in gear. Uh, do you have any idea what that could be? Now, when you say it won't go into gear, like yes, sir, you're trying to push the stick because this is a manual now, right? Yes, sir. And what is it doing? Can you feel it grinding against the gear? No, sir. Once I push the clutch in and, and put it in gear, it's not grinding. It's going into gear easily. Uh, I let the clutch out. And nothing. It's not trying to move. It's not pulling. I mean, it, it's like I'm like I'm not even putting it in gear. But the air leak is really loud. You know, it, it's it's the air leak is so weak that it's not even airing up the airbags. You know, so I don't know if it has to have more air or what. Well, I think we have two totally unrelated problems here. And I want to make sure I'm not miss. I feel like I'm missing something obvious here because I think they're just totally unrelated. I can't think of an air issue, even on a Volvo, that would have anything to do with the drive line. So I think we have okay. an air leak, and I think we have a drive line problem. But I think I can't think of any correlation between the two. Unless, like I say, I'm just having a brain cramp and missing something obvious, but I don't think yeah. I am. So we need to solve the air problem, clearly. Um, mm-hmm. let, me, let me get to a break. Let me um, noodle over this for a second. We'll be right back. Stick around. We've got more stuff right around the corner. I'm Kevin Rothenberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to get back to Martin in Tennessee. Martin, I'm just like racking my brain here because for some reason I feel like I'm missing something. Um, When you put this truck in gear, you're sitting there in neutral, you push in the clutch, it goes into gear and you feel it go into gear. 
But when you let out the clutch, nothing happens. Like you can let the clutch all the way out and just sit there and nothing is happening. And the slave valve is stuck in between the high and low range. Oh, there's the piece that I was missing. Yes, that is it. That's air operated. You've got to get the air pressure up then because you haven't fully made that transition from low to high. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The mechanic just jumped back in the truck with me, and that he just told me that I didn't know that part. So uh, that's probably my problem, then, eh? Yep, that, that's exact. I, like, I knew there was something. I wanted to get to a break, but I, I knew I was missing a piece of this. That is the one thing that, that uh, there's some correlation there. Without enough air pressure, that can get stuck in between, and you're just not in a gear. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, Kevin, well, I appreciate your time, sir, and uh, have a great day. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. I, I uh you know, sometimes you get that question and you're just thinking in my head, I, I, I'm missing something. Uh, what is it? And I'm glad we figured that out. Let's see. We are off to uh, Indianapolis. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking my call, buddy. I appreciate it. You're yeah, welcome. Uh, what can I help you with today? Well, I listened to the gentleman a couple of calls ago, and we were talking about the health and the uh, destination health and whatnot. And I'll tell you, man, it was a real wake-up call for me when I went to get my uh, DOT physical this past year. I was in the office of the lady in safety of the company I'm leased to, and one of our other owner-operators came in, and they had shut him down right on the spot because he had, uh, I believe, a heart rate problem. His heart rate was too high. And uh, so that was a real wake-up call for me because, you know, even though I don't have any truck payments on this, this Volvo, I'm looking to get that glider. And, you know, that's your living right there, that medical card. So I can't stress how important it is and how helpful it's been to hear all the great information uh, through Destination Health and everything you've been telling us about. You know, I had no idea about uh, statins and, you know, their, their issues, uh, you know, uh, people removing their gallbladders and issues with that. I uh, went ahead and bought Dr. Mark Hyman's book, uh, Eat Fat, Get Thin. I'm on Chapter 4 of that, Audible, and uh, that's an excellent uh, read so far, or listen. And uh, I uh, also wanted to mention I went ahead and uh, started trying the uh, Bulletproof Coffee. Uh, I went to Costco, got a big uh, box of the Kerrygold, and I've had coconut oil in the truck for a while. At first, it didn't sound too appetizing to me. Uh, I'll have to admit I was uh, kind of hooked on the sugar-free French vanilla creamer. And, yes, I'll turn on my right. card now. Uh, but uh, yeah. I went ahead and started out. And you're right. It's the richest cup of coffee there there could possibly be. Uh, I love it now. And I have about a third of the container left in my Volvo's refrigerator. And I said, well, let me go ahead and finish it up. I don't want to waste it. And I couldn't even drink the coffee because it was just it was sweet and just uh, didn't taste good at all. So, uh, you, know, you know, thanks for all you did for that. You're welcome, and, and we're going to continue doing that. I'm excited about it. it. And here's the good news. It is a huge problem in the industry. I mean, I can't, I can't overstate it enough. It's a huge problem. It's going to get worse. But, the, but what's so exciting is that most groups and most people are looking at it as a huge problem that they can't figure out how to solve. The, the, the exciting thing is it's so easy to solve. I don't mean easy in that, you know, it's 
I should say it's simple to solve. That's a better word. It's simple. Simple and easy are not the same thing. It's very simple to solve, and it's totally in our control. That's what's exciting. It's not easy because it's a lot of hard work to make those big changes to how you eat, but it's worth it. And I have to say the Bulletproof Coffee, everybody has the same reaction. I had the same reaction. Oh, my God, are you kidding me? You're going to put butter and coconut oil in your coffee. (laughs) But I went to to Louisville, and our original plan was to take the coach, and then things changed late in the game. And I, I just wasn't thinking, and I'd like to pack light. And I got to Louisville and woke up the first morning and thought, oh, my God, I can't make bulletproof coffee. And I really missed it. So I have I can't say anything yet. Um, I can say something tomorrow, and I will say something tomorrow. There is a new product on the market um, that is going to be really, really good to have in the truck, and that's all I can say right now. Um, but I, I'm excited. We are continuing to move forward. We are building some um, pretty incredible partnerships with uh, food companies. I am going to be making some very, very targeted uh, professional-grade supplements available. And my take on supplements, you know this because you've been listening, is for a, for a very specific problem, We target a supplement short-term to fix the problem, and once we get it fixed, our body should be able to stay healthy without supplements. There are some exceptions. If you have your gallbladder gone, you're going to have to supplement the rest of your life. Um, If there are just some foods you can't get into your diet, we may have to supplement. So we're going to make them available. Um, They're going to be professional grade. They're going to be very targeted. They're going to come with advice. Uh, so lots of exciting stuff going on on that side of things. Oh, that is exciting. And, uh, one other thing I want to mention about the Bulletproof coffee before I tried it, I thought, well, you know, a lot of times, uh, my coffee cup will sit on that top cup holder on my Volvo by the CB and, you know, sometimes the coffee will get a little cold and I figured maybe the, you know, the butter would start getting hard or the coconut oil, but, uh, you know, I'll go in there with my big coffee cup and I put the butter and the uh, coconut oil at the bottom and uh, put a little coffee in and make a little slurry mix up with a fork and then put the rest of the coffee in and it stays liquid. And the next day when I have a little leftover, it's still liquid. It's, uh, you know, not like a bunch of butter Excellent. sitting at the bottom of the cup. So uh, anyone interested, please try it because uh, I'll tell you guys, this is, you know, this is our lives and, you know, they're, looking at even more stringent medical standards in the future. And I want to be prepared. I don't want to have to go home and tell my family I'm, I'm shut down because of, uh, you know, things I could have avoided. So uh, keep up the great work, Kevin. And I, I really was calling about a tax issue. <laughs> I had uh, okay. gone ahead and, of course, uh, you know, set up my LLC this uh, year as a S corporation, uh, uh, which we had talked about. And uh, I've worked with uh, Marcus over at Clifton Larson Allen and the Let's truck uh, owner operator tax program, which is great. And uh, basically, I uh, have my uh, state taxes uh, set up and my federal taxes, um, you know, pay them quarterly, ready to go. And apparently in Georgia, it's uh, saying uh, one of the taxes that's coming up is Georgia unemployment uh, employer tax. I think it's like $400 so far. And I'm just wondering, uh, am I going to have to pay unemployment insurance for myself? And can I claim unemployment if I decide I want to stop driving? 
Yes, actually you can. Um, it, it, it's uh, because you're an employee of the corporation, you do have to pay unemployment. Now, here's the good news. Unemployment looks scary at first, but it shuts off, and I don't know the amount in Georgia, but you only pay unemployment Unlike the first, I'm just going to throw out a number right now that I remember from some of the other states. It's usually like about $8,000 in wages. So you pay it all early on. And as soon as you hit $8,000 in wages, it stops coming out. And 8000 it may okay. not be the exact number. It's not going to be. But it's not a big deal. You're going to pay some up front, and then that just goes away. Okay, excellent. Well, that sounds great. Well, uh, once again, I appreciate all the good help and uh, appreciate you all, and uh, you have a good day. Thank you much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Pennsylvania. Victor, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you, sir? Good. What can I help you with? Um, I ran off and I got a Schneider glider, and so, of course, I don't get the equipment and the tires that I want on it, uh, and, and I had a blowout. And so the TA sold me this this tire called a Dayton D610D, and they offered me a really great price on a set of eight, but I can't find a rolling resistance for it anywhere. I've gone on Michelin site, and they have three Daytons listed, but they don't have a model number on any of them. Um, and all I can find out is it says that this is a smart way verified tire. Yeah, which I just How wish can I find we would out? get. You can't. Um, you know, Michelin is the only company, well, there's the music. So I want to come back and explain this because this is a, a, there's a lot of misunderstanding around this. So we will, uh, we'll get to a break. We'll come right back with more stuff. Stick around. Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Boy, that time is just flying by tonight. We're down to the final segment already. So I'm going to get back to the phone calls. I was talking with Victor in Pennsylvania. So um, two things here, Victor. Michelin was the only tire company doing all the testing on all the tires, not just theirs, but everybody else's, and publishing numbers about rolling resistance. And the thing is, they had to create the formula, the calculation, the number we use. There was no scale for this, so they did it. It's kind of their number. Um, Yokohama recently started doing it. Now, their database of tires is much more limited than Michelin, 
takes a lot of time to test the tire and verify your test results and publish the numbers. And, but at least we've got another company starting to work on it. But there are just a lot of tires that aren't tested yet. It, it's just they bring out new models. They change things all the time. Um, my rule of thumb, and this is ironclad, I never break this rule. If I don't know the rolling resistance on the tire, I'm not buying the tire. I don't care how cheap it is. just not worth it. Now, the smart way thing, I wish we would just get rid of it. It's the stupidest system I've ever seen. But it's the government. I don't know why I would expect anything different. Here's the way smart way verification works. They look at a, a class of tire and a size. And, and let's say it's a, a, an open shoulder drive tire. And so that's the classification. If you want to get a tire smart way verified, which is supposed to tell us that the tire gets good fuel economy. That's what that is supposed to mean. But let's say that in that class of tire, the best selling tire happens to have a rolling resistance of 150, which is horrible. What, I don't know what best selling class of tire or the best selling tire in the class has to do with anything, but that's the criteria that they use. They take the best selling tire, and if you want to be smart way verified, you have to get three percent better fuel economy than the best selling tire in that class. Is that the stupidest thing you've ever heard of? It, so wow. you've got this lousy rolling resistant tire that becomes the standard because it's the best selling. And all I have to do to get that smart way verification is be 3% better. So it's a, wow. it's a meaningless number. Yeah, it, it tells us nothing. Now, if on the other hand, we're looking at steer tires and the best-selling tire has a rolling resistance of 103, now having a smart way verification would mean something. But, but nobody knows. Because it's such a stupid system. So my advice to you is it's just not worth it. I I wouldn't, I just wouldn't buy the tires. You know, there's an exception. If you're in one of those times where you're short on cash and you absolutely have to have tires, then I guess you do what you have to do. But if we have the cash flow, I always shoot for the best tire I can find. And rolling resistance is my first criteria. Let's go to Michigan this time. Jeff, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I've got a tax question. I've, uh, I'm have i a Dave Ramsey flunky, so I've got everything paid off, mortgage and everything. I own two businesses. I drive one, and the other one's at home, a little pizza shop. My accountant has come to me and said that I need to be put on the payroll uh, and actually draw a salary because I've wrote off everything that I possibly can write off, and next year that I'm going to probably make about $225,000 uh, take home. She's suggesting $1,000. Uh-oh. Oh, no. I lost Jeff. Oh, and I really wanted to get to that question, too, uh, but I needed more information that was going to be a good one, but uh, we lost him. So I will head off to Minnesota. Jerry, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. 
What a pleasure to be on your program today. Well, great to have you here. What can I help you with? Fair tax now, my friend. Absolutely. I uh, You should have an oil sample in front of you. I have a 04 ISX. I've done the EGR delete, uh, all the good stuff done out at Elite Diesel in Denver. Um, I This last sample, I switched to Mystic Oil, which is considerably cheaper than Chevron, um, like $160 to, to swap out to go to this Mystic synthetic. Um, I was just wondering on my numbers how they looked. That my first sample I did with this Mystic Oil has about 22,000 miles on it. Uh, okay, so we'll take a look at that. First of all, how did you like Elite Diesel? Very, very nice people. Troy is amazing. Their guy's out in the shop. I I was giddy as a school kid waiting to drive the truck. I I had it done two years ago. Um, <laughs> the, the, the motor's been in frame since then. Um, I still, I, I'm amazed at what this truck can do in the hills and fuel mileage. It's a 04 W900, and my best fuel mileage is 9.92. Um, I'm just, I'm ecstatic on the type of mileage I'm getting out of a big boxy truck. Yeah. Yeah, Troy is an amazing guy. Every time I get to spend some time with him, and it's not nearly often enough, um, it, my head feels like it's going to explode. There's just so much information. He just knows so much about engines. I love talking to him. Uh, and they just do amazing work. Here's the other thing I love, and I, I can see this in the oil sample. Um, I think people know how I feel about the ISX. Not my favorite engine. It's a very, very dirty engine. Uh, produces a lot of soot. That's where a lot of their problems come from. But when they're fixed right, and this one is, they are a pretty amazing engine. They're a little on the complicated side, uh, but that was part of the design to get to the emission standards and all that other stuff. But this one is just really spotless. I mean, this to me, normally I don't see oil samples this clean unless we're looking at like a 6NZ cat. You've got okay. no fuel dilution, no soot, Viscosity is perfect. The base number is really high, which is what we want. That means that it is very, very clean burning. We're not producing a lot of acid inside the engine. Um, no oxidation, no nitration, no wear metals to speak of at all. Um, this is just an amazingly clean sample. That, that tells us that that engine was built really well. Um, I did go a hundred and a little over a hundred thousand on my last doing samples, and I continually seen the wear metals, and I, I was noticing a little bit of fuel dilution. That's why I went and swapped out the oil. Um, can you see my previous samples and can kind of compare to the the new synthetic, the the Chevron I was running? I was under the assumption when I first started running it that it was synthetic and it wasn't so that's another reason i switched to the to the mystic and like i said it's considerably cheaper the oil um that so, was my main concern yeah, so even even if i look back at your other samples where you were concerned about wear metals the things you've got to remember wear metals always build up over time always okay Wear metals are so fine that even at one micron, we're not getting them out of the oil. That's okay. It's not hurting anything. Okay. Um, so when I look back and you had gotten up to, say, 52 on iron and four on chromium, okay. you had 
100,000 miles on the oil. That's nothing. That's half of okay. what I would expect to see. So you okay. could have gone, you know, looking at that, this is probably one of those engines that will easily go 250,000 miles between oil changes. Okay. Problem when I went out to Elite, I had them do the EGR delete before I did the in-frame, um, and my cams were bad. Uh, 100,000 yeah, miles later, when price. I did the in-frame, the cams were bad again. So that's why I was getting kind of concerned with the wear metal going up. I, I, <laughs> I'm kicking myself in the butt for buying the truck since it had an ISX in it, and I paid the price. I put two sets of cams in it, so that's my concern on really being on top of the oil. And, and that's a good idea. Can't hurt in this engine. But honestly, what we really have to do, unfortunately, with this engine, you've just got to get in there and inspect them. Because we don't always see it coming on an oil sample. Okay. And I do that. I have them pull the valve cover off every once in a while and just look at the cams. And they're showing signs that, you know, it's a Cummins issue. Um, we're just keeping an eye on it. And as long as the oil samples look good, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing then. Yep. Absolutely. You've got a good one here. Well, thank you very much for your time, Kevin. Do you Can you shoot me that book that is on um, Audible on the ketogenic diet? I have three daughters that have a weight issue, and I'm trying to convince them to switch to ketogenic instead of Weight Watchers where they weigh their portions, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, I want to point them in the that. right not direction. Only, not only is it annoying, but it is uh, really unhealthy food that they're eating as well. Let me recommend two books, Keto Clarity by Jimmy Moore, who is speaking at the CMC this year, and another one called Eat the Yolks by Liz Wolf. Those are the two books I would recommend they start with. And then if they like those, I've got lots more. Uh, unfortunately, there's lots of calls left, but no time. I've got to get out of here. So we'll do it again next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work. And master the journey. Kevin Rutherford. Good night, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.